Amen. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. You may be wondering who this fancy-looking fella is behind me. You're like, hey, wait a second. What's going on? Um, hey, I just want to say, one thing I do want to say um, is that I'm just really glad that we canceled the picnic. Um, I Look, it's not because I don't want to hang out with you. But when I had this anticipation of 100-degree heat and, like, potato salad sitting in a hundred degree heat and the flies can you picture it see all of you are like i don't even want to go now it's like see i just helped you out uh because lord it's hot isn't it Whew. all right anyway nate this is nate everybody i want to introduce nate to you um nate uh is a friend of mine but he's also someone that we recently hired um and so just to give a little background uh, Nate was a pastor, or is a pastor, and uh, he was in uh, up, what city? Overland. Overland, Overland. And uh, he pastored for about seven years at a church, senior pastor up there, um, and decided to resign that, and him and his family moved down south. They're like building a farm somewhere. DeSoto. DeSoto, right? <laughs> and they've got all kinds of kids, and they're just having a great time. <laughs> having a great time in DeSoto doing whatever they're doing down there building things and and creating this great farm life is that that about it that's about it that's, about it. Um, that's how a city boy describes what's happening <laughs> down there but anyway uh, but seriously with that, not joking too much I'll tell you having Nate come on staff has been a huge blessing to our church um, to have his experience his training, his education uh, to come and be a part of our team has just been great. And so he's actually uh, taken a position here called Next Steps Pastor. And so what does that mean? It means that he uh, ultimately will be overseeing small groups, assimilation, you know, uh, elevate, those kinds of involvement, those kinds of things. And so he's not quite up to speed yet. Uh, he's primarily focusing his time on small groups. And so if he calls you, that's probably why he's calling you about small groups. But uh, if, when I call, what should they say? When I ask them to lead a group, what? Yes. <laughs> See, simple. It's very simple. It's very simple. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have him speak today. Uh, I think you'll have a uh, he, he is a very insightful man of God and brings an enormous amount of theological understanding to what he's about to share. And so I'm excited to hear what he has to say, but he's going to be continuing our series. But let me pray for him before he does what he's going to do. Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you for your presence, your providence, your sovereign hand in our lives, and how you bring us to moments that we don't even anticipate. And so God, right now, we open ourselves up to receive whatever the Lord you have to say to us. And so, God, would you speak through Nate as he shares from the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, um, re real quick before we dig in too far, I do just want to give... Uh, a witness to who our pastor is because the things that he teaches us about about loving each other and serving each other and being generous with each other um, this is uh, he I mean 
he lives this and he's lived it in my life when I was a pastor he would bless our church he would bless me um, when I came to the end of that ministry and I felt like I don't know if ministry is in my future anymore um, Pastor Daniel was the one that said ministry is in your future um, you are going to keep m witnessing to the spirit of God the power of God in your life you're not going to give up and he continued to believe in me and give to me um, when when I just really didn't believe in myself and so I, I just want to say that your pastor's every everything that he teaches you to be. Um, and I think that we should just applaud him for who he... Not only is Pastor Daniel just a profound teacher, um, but he's a good friend. So, you know, he, he inspires me to be more, but he's really ornery, and he inspires me to have fun, too. I don't, can I say that? <laughs> so I also am, am a husband of a super um, beautiful redhead who's back in, in the baby room right now, and she's a little shy. So if you see a redhead named Ashley, give her a hug. Tell her I, I sent you. <laughs> Father of seven kids. We're a, we're a a, a blended family so we were the Brady Bunch and then we added one and uh, my kids are they're, they're the most creative the the honoriest the best kids ever and they drive me nuts and, and I just um, I love them this is my son Trenton in the front and he's also a little shy give him a hug and shake him around a little bit um, I'm really thrilled to have the opportunity to teach this morning. I taught every Sunday for about the last 14 years, and then I've had three to four months off. And uh, and when Pastor asked me if I was ready to teach, I thought, yes, I, I'm really, I'm so ready and hungry to teach. Um, over the last six weeks, we've been in this message series called Signpost, where we've been discussing how you and I um, have received God's grace, that we would share God's grace with others, that our lives, they either point to God or they point away from God. And if you're like me, you've failed at this from time to time. I'm going to be super honest hope this is okay, that I have simultaneously loved and hated this series because it has seen me and it's called me higher. It's almost like our pastor's preaching this because we need to hear it. You know, like I needed to hear it. I'll give you an example of something that just keeps coming into my mind as, as he's preached week after week. Last 4th of July, 4th of July, 2020, all of the kids, we still lived in Overland at that point. All the kids were in the front yard throwing poppets, you know, those little pop rocks. And, uh, and the neighbor called the police on the kids. So I think, I, I always think, let's just go hash this out. I'm a reasonable person. So I say, I'm going to go over and talk to the neighbor. And Ashley says, no, you're not. I said, well, I am actually. And so I walked over to... <laughs> <laughs> Husbands, we need to learn to submit sometimes too. I walked over to the neighbor thinking, I'm a reasonable person and I'm so reasonable, everybody around me is going to become reasonable. And so I said, hey, I just want you to know it's a value of my family to be a good neighbor. And so if you ever have a problem with us, call me, come over, talk to me because it's such a value of ours. We'll stop what we're doing to make you feel comfortable. We love you that much. And she said, I'm just so tired. She starts yelling, so tired of hearing the gunshots and the fireworks. And she said, and the last thing I'm going to tolerate is my neighbor, and this is how she said it, with all of the kids making more noise. And so at this point, I'm simmering. Like, I'm not boiling yet, but I'm simmering. And I said, you, with all due respect, <laughs> the kids were like throwing poppets. 
that were throwing poppets. I think this is something we could have talked through. And then she starts yelling again, you don't tell me what we talked through. It's my house, my peace, my decision, and I put a stop to it. Well, then Pastor Nate started to boil. You know? <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? I'll tell you what. You want to live by the law? We can live by the law. You want, you want law instead of a good neighbor? You got it. And I went back home and I had every intention of standing in the street throwing puppets for the next four hours but Ashley wouldn't let me but this, at this point I felt in my heart I knew um, I needed to submit to what she was saying and, but I laugh but as, as we've gone through this series I think about that moment and moments like that I've had in my life has anybody had moments like that and I can justify in a worldly sense why I was right and my ridiculous neighbor was wrong. But because I'm a Christian and because I loved my neighbors well first, I also know things about my neighbor. I know that my neighbor was a broken woman. I know that my neighbor used to be married to a pastor who cheated on her and divorced her in a very ungodly way. So I already triggered things for my neighbor. I, I know that my neighbor... Um, was mentally unhealthy at the start of a pandemic where many of us were mentally unhealthy. And so I was justified by the world to freak out, but I was called by God to give her something else, to give her some Jesus. Are you with me? So Peter says in our memory verse, our, our message series verse, he says, my purpose, this is in First Peter five twelve. my purpose in writing is to encourage and to assure you that what you're experiencing is, is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Stand firm in this grace. Not the unhealthy anger of the neighbor, right? But God's grace. Not the accusations of the world, but the neighbor. Not the social media banter, but the grace. Not the, not the insecurities, but God's grace. Because these things, they're thrown at you so that you would know his grace in a more powerful way. Peter's saying, you're going to face hard times. You're going to face difficult people, ignorance, injustice, pettiness. You're going to face these things. And Peter says, I'm writing to encourage and to assure you because I, Peter, I've faced this stuff too. And we know it's true about Peter, right? Peter, he, he witnessed the suffering of Christ and he suffered just like we have. He'd been called to care for God's people, just like we had. Peter witnessed personally Christ's care for him, just like we have. But I think more importantly, Peter fell asleep when he should have been working, just like we have, right? Peter told Jesus no, just like we have. Peter mocked and he judged others, just like we have. Peter um, has been humiliated because he acted like a fool, just like we have. Am I the only one? And Peter says, and I'm going to share in his glory, just like we will. I'm going to share in his glory. So he says, I'm writing to encourage. I'm writing to assure that what you are experiencing is grace. Because what the world intended for evil, what your neighbor intended for evil, what the politicians intended for evil, what your spouse, what your kids, what your, are you with me? What they intended for evil, God intended for good. And Peter's arguing that because Christ has taken our sins to the cross, we can stand in grace instead. I think what I hear Peter saying plainly is, live in Christ live for Christ 
everybody else might live in the world. Everybody else might live for themselves. But we're the church. We're the body. Somebody has to be different. You be Jesus. Let the suffering mean something. Prove that by his marks we truly are healed. The big idea that we're going to talk about this morning is that the way that we live, the way that we live, day in and day out, the way that we treat our kids, the way that we respond to our neighbors, the way that we talk to our spouses, the way that we are at work, the way that we live, it either points people to God or away from God. Peter starts off chapter 5 by saying, and now a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. I too will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal, he says. I beg you to hear me, hear my heart. I'm not judging you. I just want you to to come down to the truth with me for a second. What's an elder? Who's he talking to? Historically, elders were appointed over young and new churches um, so that because they faced the things that we've talked about in the series, right? Peter's, he's talking to leaders in the church because the leaders have a significant task of pastoring people through suffering and surrendering to the Lord and bowing to the Lord, um, honoring our spouses, suffering in this life. And Peter, Peter just says, listen, as an equal in all of these things, I need you to hear me. And then he teaches us, I think about three things this morning, about leading well, about following well, and about finishing well. Leading, following, and finishing. Because how we live either points people to God or away from God. So before we dig into this, I just want to say this really fast, that um, this is for all of us. Some of us have the idea that when we talk about elders and leaders, that we're talking about just Pastor Daniel and Pastor Gretchen. Some of us think, well, maybe it's Pastor Daniel, Gretchen, and the church staff. And then others think, well, maybe it's Pastor Daniel, Gretchen, the church staff, and the leaders in the church. Um, But the scripture is for all of us, because all of us have areas in our life that we lead. All of us. Even if you're just leading in your, you're a single person in a studio apartment, like when you wake up in the morning, when you're alone, you're leading yourself to be disciplined in Christ or not parents like I'm just like you I drop my kids off in kids ministry and every every Sunday I drop them off and I'm like Jesus fix them you know like I, I, I hope wouldn't it be great <laughs> but every every Sunday the uh, I get an answer to that prayer like, Nathan you are the pastor of your home Ashley's the pastor of your home you church you're the pastor in your homes You're the pastor of your homes. As we dig into the meat, I want to just say this with me. Say, I am a leader. Say, I am a leader. Now say, good leaders follow. Both things are true. You're leaders. And to be a good leader, we have to learn to follow. Point number one this morning is when you are leading, remember... First, who you are under, and second, who your blessings come from. 
Peter says in verses 2 through 4, he says, care for the flock God has entrusted you. Um, Again, single folks, this is for you too. It might just be your soul right now. Care for the flock God has entrusted you. Care for the flock. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, for what you will get out of it. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager. Because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Oh, that's convicting. Lead them by your own good example. Leave me alone, Jesus. And what the great, when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. So let me see a show of hands. Does anybody have someone in your life who is weaker than you? Weaker than you? Spiritually? Anybody in your life who is less knowledgeable than you? Are you with me? More in need than you? You're a leader. He says, care for them because God has entrusted them to you. Care for them because God has entrusted them to you. When Jesus sends out the 12 12 disciples for the first time, he says to them in Matthew 10, he says, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake the dust from your feet as you leave. And I think that he's saying everyone that you encounter, literally everyone that you encounter, um, even at the grocery store, at the gas station, everyone you encounter is is entrusted to you, not not through their response, but through your leadership. Are you living your life as though God is entrusting souls of his beloved to you as you go through your day? Peter says, take them your life. Take them your life. Take them the gospel. I appeal to you. Do it on purpose, he says. And notice the contrast. He says, not grudgingly, like, I got to serve God again today. But willingly, do it as a choice. Choose to live for God. You have to choose it because if you don't choose it, you won't choose it. Not greedily thinking like, well, I'll do this just because I won't go to hell. But with a heart ready for God. I'm going to do this because God loves me and I love him back. And I can't wait to tell other people the love that I've received. He says, not flaunting your position. I'm so important. I've got a title called Pastor of Next Steps, which I do. But... (laughs) but using every opportunity in your life to be an example of living for God. Remember who you are under the God who redeemed your life for a purpose. And I find this to be easy on Sundays. This is really easy on Sundays because in here you all know that I'm a Christian and now you all know that I have a position and so it's easy. I have a responsibility to you. I have a responsibility to Pastor Daniel, to Gretchen, to this church. Easy on Sundays, harder when a neighbor's crazy. But here's what I find if I'm not intentional. It's almost out of sight and out of mind when I go to the grocery store. Because here's my opinion about the grocery store. I'm not working today. Like, I'm not working today. In fact, when I go to the grocery store, I want it to be a blessing. It's a time of blessing. Kids stay at home. I get a break from kids. I get a break from people. I get to be an introvert because I like being an introvert. But why? Like, why do I want to go to the grocery store and not work today? I want to make eye contact. I don't care if you know you're loved. Just trying to get some chicken. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because I work hard, by God. Like, I work hard, and I want the trip to the grocery store to be for me. It's a rest, right? But how can I shake the dust from my feet when I haven't even gotten dusty? Most of the time, are you with me? Most of the time I'm complaining to God, like, God, I just need to shake this dust from my feet. These, these people, these kids, this life, it's wearing me out. And God's like, you're squeaky clean. You've done nothing. Wow. 
You haven't walked to see my people, to smile at my people. You haven't risked a hello on my people. You haven't made eye contact with my people. You just wanted some chicken. God wants me to acknowledge that even when I go to the grocery store, I'm surrounded by his beloved. By somebody that just might need just one person to smile at them. One person to say hello. One person to not be crabby to the clerk. Even though I have a strong, strong opposition to these clerks that are crabby with us. Peter says when we willingly choose, when we willingly choose to care for others when we um, are ready, when our hearts are ready for God, when our hearts are ready for the people of God, when we use the opportunities that life provides us, that God entrusts to us. He says that God will bless us with never-ending crowns of glory. And in layman's terms, I I think he's saying this, God will set you on a throne. He will make your identity one of adoration and renown and distinction and rest and peace and assurance. He will secure us in the things that we long for. The things that we long for as we type away with new posts on social media. The things that we long for as we try on those new clothes and spend that money and seek that approval. Are you with me? So Peter says, when you're leading, remember who you are under, the God who has predestined every step of your life. He's entrusted this life to you. Don't throw it away. Remember who your blessings come from, the God who has promised your satisfaction. God wants us to be satisfied. God wants us to have peace. God wants us to have carefree lives. All right, say it with me. I'm a leader. And good leaders, what? Follow. Follow, yes. So when we're followers, submission to godly direction and humble respect for others does two things in our life. It matures us for glory, and it creates lasting peace. It matures us for glory, and it creates lasting peace. Friends, the way that we live, it either points people to God or away from God. Yes, but here's the other part of it, I think, that we learn in First Peter chapter 5. The way that we live, caring for others in our leading and following, it's just as much for us. It secures the victory of Christ's salvation in our lives as well. Peter says if you're younger, dumber, less talented, weaker, then do this. Learn from the people who are smarter. Submit to your leaders. Honor your leaders. Don't make Pastor Daniel's life so difficult. Quit sending emails because you don't like how people are dressed on stage. Or they might say something that offends your sensibilities. Get over it. Submit to your leaders. Honor your leaders. God has given them to you because you're weaker, dumber, in need. Are you with me? Now listen, that's true of every single one of us. So I'm not picking on anybody. These are the people who can make you smarter and more mature and more able and stronger. He says, all of you, humble yourselves before the Lord in this. Become less as you interact with each other because we're the body of Christ. We need each other. We have to show the world a better way. And it starts by humbling ourselves here. Why? Because God opposes the proud. Peter's just plain. He's straightforward in it. God literally 
opposes you. He's against you when you don't live this way. Whoa! I don't want God to be against me. He opposes you when you live this way, but when you, if you, you live loving and humble, honoring your elders, this is what Peter says, God blesses you. He gives to you. He actually manifests. He matures you on purpose. The author and senior editor of the American conservative, Rod Dreher, he recently um, recanted a discussion that he had with a, a European journalist who had been at Harvard on a um, Neiman scholarship, which is the most prestigious journalism scholarship in the world. And, and so he asked this journalist, he said, what did you gain from the experience? And the journalist said, honestly, what I gained most from this experience is how fragile Americans have become. And Dreher said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, class after class after class, we would enter and the professor would say, we can't discuss X today because last week um, a student came up and said that it triggered them and it offended them. And, uh, and Dreher said, you know, after I had this conversation with this journalist, what I've realized is that in America, we have this conviction that we have a natural right to have positions of leadership and simultaneously a natural right to suppress anything that causes anxiety in our lives. Wow. A natural right to, to be important and a natural right to never be troubled. The Bible disagrees completely. The Bible says that those of us who, are, who call ourselves Christians, who follow Christ, that we have a calling to lead, and that's accompanied by a calling to follow, accompanied by a calling to humble ourselves, to become less, to give our lives away. Peter says the way that we do this, it's not by suppressing anxiety. It's not by lording convictions over each other, forcing people into the comfort of, of what we think is right, but through submitting to godly direction and through living with, living with humble respect for other people. And it seems like we've only submitted to our own ideals and have humble respect for ourselves. Peter says we do this for a reason because God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble he blesses the humble he betters the humble he has blessings in store for us God says lead right and follow right for this reason so I can mature you for glory see friends the adoration and the renown the distinction the rest the peace the assurance these things are promised to us and, and I think that if you're like me, you grew up um, with the mindset of this is promised to me when I die. But like life's too hard. I'm never going to be good enough. So I'm going to have these things in heaven, right? In heaven, all these burdens will be lifted off of me. I think Peter's arguing, no, no, you can have it now. You're just choosing not to. You can have it now. You're just lazy, selfish. It, being an American is more important than being a Christian. He says the way that we live, it not only points people to or away from God, but it also secures or it curses the victory of Christ in our life. Therefore, give all of your worries, he argues. This is beautiful, I think. Therefore, therefore, because these things are true, because God is this awesome, give all of your worries to God because he cares about you. And the word give, oh, it's beautiful. The word give in the scriptures, it means to lunge. So like Peter's giving this violent description, like hurl at God, your neighbor. Ah, take my neighbor. They were just snap it. 
hurl at God the agenda of public education, right? Hurl at God. A, a, a government that doesn't think about us is playing a game. Hurl at God, gas prices, bills, shame, what my parents did. Oh, God. Hurl at God, what I did. Ooh. Hurl at God, my insecurities. Hurl at God, the brokenness. Hurl at him. Throw at him. And, and, and Peter's saying, like, God wants you to do this. He can take it. He's strong enough. He's big enough. He's mighty enough. He's powerful enough. Hurl it at him and be free. Hurl it at him and be free. I've started doing this, like Pastor Daniel wants me to act out more in worship, and I'm like, I'm reserved. But I've started trying this at home. <laughs> but, but I've started trying to do this when I'm alone, like actually like violently, like, yeah, take it, God. And I gotta tell you, Peter's not lying to us. We do this for a reason, hurl it at God. So that we can, so that I can, God can take my anger at my neighbor. God can take my fear that I'm not a good enough dad. God can take my fear about, like, am I going to make enough money this month? I own my own business. God can take all of these things. He can take it so that we can love others better. But here's what actually happens in our life. When it happens, we start to believe because we experience freedom. We start to believe, my God really does love me. It's not something that I'm just reading anymore. It's something that's happening. It can happen in your hearts. It can happen in your lives. It can happen in your homes. And some of us who are leaders that have children, like we got to lead them and show them freedom because y'all, this world is crushing our kids. It's more socially acceptable. It's more legal for us to take our kids and change their sex than it is for us to tell them, no, you were fearfully and wonderfully made the way that you are. I'm not being political. I'm not being political. So the only way we can show them a better way is to actually become free, to actually live for Christ to actually be changed, to actually let his wounds heal us so that our wounds can heal. Yeah. All right, point three before I run out of time. How are we successful in living a signpost? We have to discipline our lives as those who are at war. Discipline your lives. I separated it because I think they're two distinct things. Discipline our lives as those who are at war. This is what he says in verses 8 through 11. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, for the great enemy. So he's not minimizing the devil's impact. And you're like, some of us are truly under a great burden. Watch out for your great enemy the devil he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour stand firm against him be strong in your faith remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are in his kindness in his kindness god called you to share in his eternal glory by means of christ jesus so after you've suffered a little while this isn't that beautiful after you've suffered a little while it's it's gonna happen can't can't avoid it he will restore, support, 
and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation, all power to him forever. Amen. I think as a culture, we're okay with the word discipline um, so long as it's personal, right? So long as it has to do with um, looking good, like getting physically fit, looking sexy. I just do that naturally. (laughs) Never had to work out or diet. (laughs) It's not a burden I got. As long as it has to do with self-care, um, creating fat bank accounts. But we don't think about discipline and love. And love requires discipline. Love requires discipline. Like an example, if I do not plan the night before to get my wife flowers, I do not get my wife flowers. But I plan. And my wife is blessed. Men, discipline your lives to love your wives to show them that they're special. Maybe flowers isn't their language. Figure out what it is. Plan the night before. If I do not plan, I don't. If I don't plan, if I don't meditate and pray over what are ways that I can honor my wife, that I can honor my children, that I can compliment them, I don't. I just don't. I ignore them. They come to me like, look at my artwork. That's great. I'm doing something. If I plan, if I pray, if I meditate, then they all feel more loved and more valued by me. Love requires discipline. It's the same way with reading scripture. It's the same way if I do not schedule it and put it in my calendar, this is the time of the day that we do it, then I don't do it. And so I've got the kids doing that now. Eight o'clock every morning if you, in the summer, if you want to come out of your room, you got to read your Bible first, 30 minutes. Because I want them to learn that love requires discipline. That faith requires discipline. Relationship requires discipline. Are you with me? Peter says, stay alert. Discipline yourselves. Because there's a great enemy, the devil, and he is seeking you out. Like he's on the prowl. You are in his sights. He wants you to lose your cool on your neighbor. You know? Satan. I made Satan happy that day. He wants you to dishonor your wife by just neglecting her. He wants you to dishonor your children by just neglecting them. He wants you to dishonor God by neglecting your soul, by never spending time with them, by never becoming, letting God mature in you the truth that you are loved and cared for by the creator of all things. This is what the enemy wants. So Peter says, discipline your lives and remember every believer everywhere is having similar struggles to you. That's what the scripture says. Every believer everywhere. Um, So stop feeling sorry for yourselves, Americans. Especially, I don't want to be insensitive, but especially American women. Stop feeling sorry for yourselves. Every believer everywhere is being attacked because we have an enemy and the enemy is great. He's powerful. We act like the world is against us personally. No, this is war. We are in a battle. Carl Jung, he said of the passion of Christ, he said that it's the most comprehensive tragedy ever recorded. Carl Jung is a psychologist, a very prominent psychologist. He says it's the most comprehensive tragedy ever recorded because it drags the observer through the battle of 
the human experience, through the battle of the human experience. Let me unpack what he's talking about. He's talking about the battle of the mob that is against us and somehow we are also a part of. The, the moral relativism that we see in Pontius Pilate. This battle against moral relativism. The battle against the oppression of the state. The battle against betrayal of a close friend, maybe a spouse, colleague, for a lot of us, a parent. The battle against the willingness of the crowd. Why does the crowd do this? To punish the virtuous and forgive the criminal. The battle against the horrific and torturous, torturous death. The passion of Christ. It sums up every suffering, every struggle that we have, is his argument. It shows us step by step the battles that we face, every believer. So Peter says, it's not just you. This is exactly what Christ has come to confront, exactly what Christ has defeated, exactly what Christ is victorious over. So he says, get out of your heads and get into the body of Christ. Get out of your heads and get into the body of Christ. How? By disciplining your lives because we are at war. Not against flesh and blood. The enemy looks to devour you. But God is kind. And God, he looks to share his victory. This is what the scripture argues. The victory that's secured through the cross of Jesus. So discipline your lives as those who are at war. Because after you have suffered a little while. After life has been hard for a little while. It'll be hard for a little while. He says your faith will become sight. You will be restored, supported, strengthened, placed on a firm foundation. And then Peter reminds us, my purpose in writing you is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace everything in your life that you are experiencing has been entrusted to you. It's part of God's grace. You get to stand on that truth because you believe in Jesus Christ. Outside of faith, everything can be a curse. Everything is part of grace. Everything that you experience is intended to lead you into freedom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being powerful and mighty. Thank you, God, for using Peter's experience to inspire him to share a word that we need. God, I want to pray for those of us in this room this morning that struggle with being leaders, those of us in the room this morning that just don't want the responsibility of being an example to others. God, give us, remove whatever that, that barrier, whatever that insecurity, whatever that brokenness is, that we would stand up and know, yes, my life is worth being an example, not because of who I am, but because what Christ has done in me. God, I pray that over us. I pray that over myself. Let us lead with boldness.
God, I pray that we, for those of us who struggle to follow, those of us who have been burned, those of us who like really don't want to trust, let us submit. Let us follow our leaders with humbleness. Not because it always feels right, God, but because it's better. Because it changes us to be an example. It changes us that we, we can love better. God, I pray for those of us that struggle with discipline. God, let us just begin taking a daily step. Inspire in our hearts and in our minds how we can make you a disciplined part of our daily lives. Prove to us why love requires discipline. God, I pray for all of us who have um, been inspired and who've been convicted in this, in this series. Let us remember, God, let us remember that when we are convicted by your spirit, it's not because you want us to hate ourselves, but it's because you want to give us something more. So God, let us be convicted and let us respond to it. Thank you, Jesus, for not letting us stay as we are. There's some of us in this room that have followed Jesus and have really lost the discipline. Some of us in this room that haven't ever followed Jesus, that haven't taken that step. And so I just want to, with our heads bowed, we're not trying to make a, a, a scene of you. taking a, that first step of faith, I want to encourage you to raise your hands this morning so we can count, so we can pray for you. If you want to take a step to know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. The rest of us, keep our heads bowed, keep our heads down. Raise your hands up if you want to commit yourself to Christ this morning. Amen, we see you. Amen, we see you. We're going to pray together because we all we all need to give ourselves to Christ. Pray together so no one feels alone. Lord Christ, I am in need of a Savior. I know that your gospel declares my perfection is not the point because you are perfect. Save me, Christ. I bow to you as Lord. Lord God, I just pray a sealing of your spirit, a sealing of this commitment. For those who have raised their hands today, God, I pray for those of us who practice the faith, stir in us the, the, the boldness, the courage to discipline our lives, to be more secured in you. We thank you for who you are. You are the God that saves, the God who's mighty in power. Let us, God, live lives of faith that experience heaven now, that shares heaven now, so that our lives would point people to you, the only God. We pray in your name. And the church said, Amen. Hey, just give a round of applause to those who gave their lives to Christ today. Amen.